Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's just a pleasure to see all of you here today to worship Jesus. Now, as I said last week, it's great to have our college students back in town, isn't it? You know, we, here in Nashville, we could do without all the bachelorette poly, parties that come blowing through town. You know, I heard somebody call them the woo girls, you know, because they get on those pedal ta- taverns and go, woo, you know. Um, we could do without those, but it just isn't the same here in Nashville without our college students. So if you are a college student, pat yourself on the back. Thank you for being here. Um, one thing, if you are a college student, if you would stay just a few minutes afterward and gather right here up front, we want to have a um, welcome you, and I also want to introduce you to our um, college ministry deacons. Um, they want to, to share just a quick word with you. It won't take long, but so don't don't head for the door. Come come up front. We want to meet with you right afterwards. We also desire to be your home away from home. Um, I know many of you have traveled long distances to be here, and it's uh, sometimes difficult to find community, and we'd love to, to be part of that puzzle piece for you. I recently read an article by a guy named Tobias Rose Stockwell that expounded on the fact that every time that we look at our phone screen or a computer screen or an iPad, we enter into a digital battleground. The aggressors on this battleground are the architects of our digital worlds. And their weapons are the apps, the news feeds, the notifications that are in our field of view every time that we look at a screen. Their battle mission is to break through our willpower, capture our attention, and take it hostage for money. Why? Because our captive attention is worth millions and billions to them in advertising and subscription revenue. And if you're anything like me, you will lose this battle and you will lose it probably multiple times a day as you stumble down various digital rabbit holes, rabbit holes that capture your attention, rabbit holes that are funded by advertising that's directed and aimed specifically at you and your heart. If you haven't watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, I highly recommend that you do so. It'll scare you a bit. But one of my favorite lines from that documentary is this. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Almost every free app or service is underhandedly trying to um, turn our attention into dollars. Turn our gaze into a profit. And they've built sophisticated algorithms for doing so. We might not be paying money to use these apps, but make no mistake about it, we are paying for them with our time, our attention, and our perspectives. And the curators of our digital worlds have learned that one of the best ways to capture our attentions and to keep it and take it hostage is through stoking our emotions, particularly the emotions of fear And anger. This is the system that lurks behind our social media and news feeds. And news outlets who are in in pretty stiff competition with each other for advertising dollars have become experts at hacking our attention with emotional packaging. They prey on our fears, 
They, they stoke up our anger. They manipulate our cognitive biases. And the end result of all of this is we get funneled into digital echo chambers where we are surrounded by others who not only share, but also deepen our fears and cognitive biases. Echo chambers that intentionally vilify anyone who thinks differently than us and crank up a fear and rage machine against them. A machine that uses anything it can get its hands on to keep us engaged. Politics, immigration, race, critical race theory, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci, COVID-19 protocols, masks, vaccines. A media machine that takes all of those topics and intentionally polarizes us into opposing camps to keep the advertising revenue flowing in. This, my friends, is the monetization of polarization. And it's no wonder that our culture is so deeply divided and more polarized into rage-filled factions now than it ever has been in our lifetime. And I wish that I could say that the church is immune to these um, media-driven cultural forces, but it's not. We're not. In talking with many of my fellow pastors around the nation, none of us can remember a time when fighting for unity within our congregations has been more difficult than the past 18 months. Current politics, the pandemic, have fractured congregations around our country and formed deep, deep divisions among God's people. And my friends, this breaks my heart as a pastor. But you know what's more important than that? It breaks the heart of Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because of the passage we're going to look at today. A passage where Jesus opens up his heart in prayer to the Father and expresses his deepest desires for us, his church. Those of you who've been with us for a while know that we've been studying through the Gospel of John. And we've come now to chapter 17. So if you brought a Bible with you or the fake copy on your phone, go ahead and open that up to John chapter 17. Um, You will need your Bible or a fake copy on your phone today. Um, I'll tell you why in just a little bit. So get that ready, John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, um, please visit our Connect Point at the back. You're welcome to even get up now and go grab one. That's our gift to you. We'll also be putting um, the scripture up on the screen as we go along. But John chapter 17 wraps up an extended section of teaching from Jesus that's often called the upper room discourse. But by the time we get here to chapter 17, Jesus has already left the upper room, you know, where he had washed his disciples' feet, shared the Passover meal with them. He's left that room, and and they're now making their way outside the city walls of Jerusalem towards the Kidron Valley and the Garden of Gethsemane, where we'll find them in chapter 18. And somewhere along the way, Jesus pauses to pray. And what we have here in John 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, oftentimes called his high priestly prayer. Would you stand with me as we read this together from John chapter 17? A prayer of Jesus that gives us a glimpse into what he cares about most for his original disciples and for us. Let's read, starting with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he 
lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know the truth, know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, referring to Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is God's word. You may be seated. Keep in mind that this prayer that Jesus prays, his high priestly prayer, is on the night before he goes to the cross. His time is short. His hour has come. Repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John, we see Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. Even at the first miracle, the the turning of water into wine, he he tells his mother, my hour has not yet come. But here in verse 1, he begins his prayer by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. What is this hour that Jesus is talking about? It's the hour of his death. It's the hour when he is the Lamb of God which shed his blood in order to atone for the sins of the world. His time is short. He knows it. 
And so he pauses to pray. And what he prays for is astounding. It's packed full of theology. And I wish we could take like two hours to go through this, but some of you would get mad at me if I did that. So maybe someday we'll return to this chapter and do a whole sermon series on it. But we don't have time to really examine all the trees, but we will look at the forest today, okay? We'll skip over the top of it, take a 10,000 view, view over this passage. You may have noticed that this prayer of Jesus has three sections to it. Three sections. One, Jesus prays for himself. Two, Jesus prays for his disciples. And three, Jesus prays for us. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that we, to my knowledge, have never done before at Fellowship Nashville. Bobby's always asking me to do this. Um, some of you are going to enjoy this, and some of you may not. But this is going to be an interactive sermon this morning, and I'm going to give you an assignment. I'm going to give you an assignment to talk with a neighbor or two around you, just kind of circle up in huddles of two or three or four. And I want you to do this. I want you to ask, what did Jesus pray? Ask and answer, what did Jesus pray for in each part of this prayer? Go ahead and put that next slide up. What did Jesus pray for in each part of this prayer. If you had to sum it up in just a couple phrases, what did Jesus pray for himself? What did Jesus pray for his original disciples? And three, what does he pray for us? And since this is a pretty lengthy passage, we're going to split it up, okay? This is the smallest section, so I'm going to give you the easiest assignment. You guys have section number one. What does Jesus pray for himself? Okay, the the hardest part is section number two. You're the biggest group over here, okay? So what did Jesus pray for his original disciples? You might want to, there's a little bit of a prelude to this, what he actually asks for. So you might want to start with verse 11, just a hint, okay? So you've got got, uh, part one over here, middle section, part two over here. Guess what you guys have? Part three, okay? You've got four minutes max. Go, go. Okay, I lied. I only gave you three minutes. Let's come back together. In part one of this lengthy prayer, Jesus gives a report of his ministry to the Father, doesn't he? In verse four, we read, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then he prays for himself. He asks the Father for something for himself. If you could sum this up in one word, section one, okay? If you could sum this up in one word or one short phrase, what would it be? Somebody shout it out. Somebody, some brave soul in this middle section. What does Jesus ask the Father for? Say it louder. Yeah, glorification. Glorification. If we could sum it up in one word, he asks the Father for glorification. He says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is telling the Father here, I'm, I'm ready to come home. I've finished my ministry. I've masked my glory for 33 years now. But now I'm ready to be with you again, Father, and share in the glory that we had together with each other from the beginning of time before this world was created. Would you glorify me, Father? Now let me ask you a question. Let's take a time out. Did God 
the Father answer this prayer of God the Son? It's not rhetorical. Yes, he did. How do we know? Well, we can just simply fast forward to the book of Acts. And we have the first martyr named Stephen, who's stoned for his faith. But right before he dies, he looks to heaven and he says this. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw what? The glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the honored position of glory. Said, look, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Or we can look at Philippians chapter 2 in the writings of Paul where we read this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of who? Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that who is Lord? Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father has most definitely answered this prayer to glorify himself and to glorify Jesus. So now let's turn our attention to part two of this high priestly prayer. When Jesus begins to pray for his disciples, he says of them in verse 8, they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me, the disciples, for they are yours. I love the language that Jesus uses here. He, he talks, in talking of the disciples, he essentially calls them God's gift to him. God's gift to him. You know, people may never... Um, call you God's gift to anything in this world. You might not be that talented or or special. I feel that way all the time. But if you're a believer, my friends, here's what you can take to the bank. You are God's gift to Jesus. So, So if somebody ever asks you, just who do you think you are? You can confidently and unashamedly look them in the eye and say, I'm God's gift to Jesus. Thank you very much. Okay, those of you who looked at this section over here. Okay, section number two. How would you summarize in a couple short phrases or words what Jesus asks for on behalf of his disciple? Um, Who wants to raise your hand if you want to shout it out? Who wants to be the spokesperson? Gus, our new men's ministry deacon. Go for it. Co-deacon. I said protection and sanctification. Protection and sanctification. Okay, anybody have any other ideas? Because that's exactly right. Let's just go with it. Okay. Um, I did not talk with Gus. We did not plan this ahead of time. But you can summarize this in two words that Gus just used. The first one is this, protection. Protection. He says in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm leaving them. They're staying. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The phrase keep them in your name here means to keep them in full adherence to God's character. Keep them in full adherence to God's character. Keep them together, God. (laughs) Keep them loyal to you. In other words, Jesus knows that his disciples are going to face opposition from a hostile world with a different value system, different priorities. He knows they have a spiritual enemy and he's asking the father to protect them, guard them, keep them unified, keep them from being divided and scattered. Keep them in your name that they may be one even as we are one. 
Look how Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Then Jesus, in verse 15, repeats this request for protection. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus prays for protection, that they wouldn't fall away and be scattered by Satan. But there's the second thing that Gus mentioned that Jesus prays for for his disciples in this section, and that's their sanctification. Their sanctification. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, sanctification is a big word, but it basically means this, to be set apart and purified for a specific task or function. To be set apart, purified for a specific task or function. Jesus has taken his disciples out of the mess of the world. He's cleaned off the mess. He's renewed them from the inside out with the gospel. And now he takes them and he puts them back into the mess. But this time with a message, okay? The message of the gospel. And this is the same thing that Jesus does with his disciples today. He takes us out of the mess. He he cleans us up. He renews us from the inside out with the gospel. And then he sends us back into the mess with the message. He hasn't changed the way that he works. We are his representatives on earth. And this is the very reason that when we say, Jesus, I believe in you, we're not off to heaven. No, he leaves us here because he has a function for us to fulfill. He sanctified us. He set us apart for a purpose, for a function. Now, let me ask you another question. Did God answer this part of Jesus' prayer for protection and sanctification of his original disciples? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How do I know? Well, just look around you. (laughs) We're here, aren't we? Many of you, if not most of you, are believers in Jesus, and that means that Satan wasn't able to snuff out the gospel message in the first century. No, those disciples sanctified, protected, told others who then were sanctified by the message and set apart to spread it to others and others and others and others, and eventually, here we are in the 21st century, it has come to you and to me. God kept the original disciples loyal to the Father, faithful to spread the message. And the gospel is still sanctifying, setting apart people to continue that same cycle, which brings us to the third part of Jesus' prayer. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Who's that? Us, us. This is where Jesus begins praying for you. You and I are those who have come to know Jesus and believe in him through their word. And the prayer of protection and sanctification that Jesus has prayed for his original disciples also applies to us in the way that Jesus phrases this. But then he adds a little bit to it. He he adds an emphasis and puts a spotlight in a specific part of that prayer for his original disciples that he really is praying for us. So it's your turn, section number three. What does Jesus pray for for us? If you had to sum it up in a couple words or a phrase, 
Hudson, you, yeah, that was quick. You're the spokesperson. Go for it. Good. He prays for the unification of his people. Very good. Anything else? All right. That's okay. We'll get to it. There's one more thing he prays for, but we'll, we'll get to it. Um, so they, they get a, a B minus over here. You guys got A's. Um, just kidding. Oh, we got a hand. Okay, I'm changing your grade. Um, you are now b- back up to that we would reflect his glory as well. Good, good. Okay, so um, if Jesus could ask for anything for us, it's very important for us to pay attention to what he asks for. We can sum it up, first of all, in this word unification. Unification. He says in verse 21, that they may all be what? One. Just as you, Father, and me, and I, and you. Then he repeats something very similar in verse 23. That they may become perfectly what? One. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. My friends, if Jesus could ask for anything, what did he pray for? He prayed for our unity. He prayed for our unity. And this is so important for us to hear and internalize in our current cultural context. In this moment, cultural moment of rapid polarization, we must remind ourselves of this prayerful prayerful heart longing in our Savior. A longing for us to be one, to be unified. Why? Because... The fate of the world rests on us hearing it, internalizing it, and acting on it. Did you see what these verses said right after it said that they may be one? Look closely at what Jesus says here about the outcome of our unity in verses 21 and 23. So that what? The world may believe and so that the world may know. My friends... If we're divided into fighting factions, the world is not going to be attracted to our message. They, won't, they will want nothing to do with the gospel. It'll be no gospel at all to them. They aren't going to be knocking on our doors saying, ooh, I heard you guys are fighting, and I'd love to be a part of that conflict. No. They'll run the other way. They'll quickly see the hypocrisy among us and go, yep, that's what I thought. They're no different than anyone else. It's our unity that authenticates our gospel message. It's us continuing to love each other in spite and despite of our differences that will draw people to Jesus and help them know and see and understand but believe that he is the real deal. But hear this. Unity does not mean uniformity. Say that with me. Unity does not mean uniformity. We will think differently than each other. We will look different from each other. And some of you looking at me right now might be tempted to say amen. Hold that. Please restrain yourself. We, we will vote differently. 
Some of you lean right politically. Some of you lean left. And that's okay because neither major political party in our country fully represents the heart and values of Jesus. Where you lean politically matters very little to what you long for eternally. Are you longing for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's our ultimate hope, my friends. The agenda of the Republican Party cannot save us and solve all our problems. The agenda of the Democrat Party cannot save us or solve all our problems. Only Jesus can save us. And if you're looking to a political agenda to be your savior, you're worshiping an idol. And you likely started bowing down to it because you got sucked into an echo chamber by a media-driven fear and rage machine that has captured your attention, captured your affections for a prophet, vilified those who vote differently than you, and has drawn you away from your true hope that is in Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. He is our hope. Okay, I'll stop meddling. Let's get back to the text. Let me ask you another question. Has God answered Jesus' prayer for our unification? Has God answered Jesus' prayer for our unification? Some of you are like, I don't know how to answer this one, okay? You might look at the political and the racial and the denominational fractures in the American church and be tempted to say no. No, he hasn't answered this prayer. But let me suggest to you that God has indeed answered this prayer. Unification, hear this. Unification is not something we produce as Christians. It's something we already have. Now, whether we live it out, live in light of it, and enjoy it is another matter entirely. But it's something we already have. Look at Galatians chapter 3, where Paul writes this. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, say this out loud with me, one body and one Spirit. Just as you're called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are already one, my friends. I love how Christus prayed, prayed earlier. It's all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all one. We already have unification, but we must make every effort to enjoy that oneness, to live in light of it and keep the unity of the spirit by loving one another despite our differences. And I'd like to just pause right now and say thank you. Thank you as your pastor. I'm so proud of you all. We have walked through a lot in the last 18 months that could have driven a wedge right down the middle of our congregation. We've walked through a lot that could have fractured our body into competing factions. But you have lived out that oneness and that unification that we have 
in Jesus Christ. You know, I've heard horror stories from my fellow pastors around the country of how differing opinions on politics, COVID protocols, etc., have caused angry divisions within their churches. But this has not been the way that way with you. And I'm so proud of you. Even when we recently had to go back to wearing masks after dropping them for a couple months this summer to honor the, the local guidelines on public buildings, and this is a public building, but also because of the rise in the Delta variant and just loving our community by taking a step to, to help protect ourselves and others. When we went back to that, you know what? I did not receive one angry email from any of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's continue to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's not let petty things divide us. Let's not let bigger things divide us. But let's turn our eyes toward Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and unify around that. It's so much more important. And the fate of the world depends on it as they look at us and see, ah, you're different. Can I know that Jesus that you're talking about? Let's continue to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, as we close, let's quickly review what Jesus has prayed for so far. Glorification, protection, sanctification, unification. And now, as he continues his prayer for you and me, he bookends his prayer. And as Ray pointed out, prays for glorification again, but this time for us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. As the band comes back up, let me ask you one more question. Has this prayer of Jesus been answered? Every time a believer dies, it's partially answered. As Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it will be fully answered at the resurrection, my friends. It'll be fully answered when Jesus returns to make all things new, when we'll have glorified bodies and people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will dwell in unity with each other on a renewed earth with Jesus, perfectly united, perfectly reflecting the glory of God as image bearers that are no longer tarnished by sin and death. Do you look forward to that day? I do. Let me ask that question again. Do you look forward to that day? Yes. Yes. Pray with me. Father, we are so easily divided. Our hearts are so easily hijacked to care more about things on this earth than to care about your priorities for this earth. Lord, we get divided politically, we get divided racially, we get divided in so many ways. But Father, may our highest heart's desire, our heart's longing be for your will to be done, your, your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we go into our workplaces this week, into our classrooms, into um, our homes, our neighborhoods, and may we love others, be forces of unity and peace, reflecting the beauty of our Savior to a world that's looking for love in all the wrong places. 
Father, we need your grace to do that. We need to run to you and fall into your grace, recognizing that we're no better than anyone else. Melt away our self-righteousness, God, we pray. Help us to love and serve each other. Help us to love and serve our world. Amen.